You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And... Today on the show, we are going to be continuing this bear hunting kick that we've been on recently, and I'm pretty excited about it because joining me on the show is a guy named Will DeRover. Now, he is from Canada, and he got into hunting in a very interesting way, especially bear hunting. You're going to hear a little bit about it here in just a minute, but basically, he started a guide service or bought a guide service before he had ever even hunted bear or knew anything about hunting bears. And so he went from that to also starting a coffee company called Bear Beans Coffee, where they give so much of their proceeds back to conservation work, specifically for bears. And so we're going to talk all about his journey, talk about what Canadian bear hunting looks like for those of you that might be interested in going up there to chase after some spring or even fall black bears. And I'm going to tell you right now, after all these conversations, I really want to do this. Everyone I've talked to is super jacked about it. They're like, dude, everybody comes back or we're going back again next year. And they just can't get enough of going and sitting for bears, similar to what we do for deer hunting, but for giant black bears. So I'm pretty pumped about it. Let's jump in to the conversation. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. There's anybody I want in the woods with me. It'll be you. All right, guys. Welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I've got Will DeRover. And he is a 
a coffee company owner, a hunting guide, a hunting outfitter owner from Canada. And we're going to talk all about bear hunting and coffee. And so, Will, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Why don't you start out? We, we've just been getting to know each other for a couple minutes before the recording. But why don't you share with the listeners maybe a little bit about your hunting history, what you do now, and then we'll jump into the convo. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, like I was saying, I, I started hunting when I was about 18 or so. I didn't grow up hunting. None of my family hunts. And, uh, my, my wife actually was the one who got me into hunting. Her family hunted a bit and, and, uh, I only really started learning about hunting when I started dating her. So that was, uh, that was how I got into hunting and, and, uh, interesting story. Like I was mentioning to you earlier, Dan, I, I never, uh, I never had hunted a bear or deer anything before we started uh, outfitting actually. So I learned hunting while I was guiding hunters. So that was, uh, that was quite the experience and quite the learning curve, but it's uh, we bought the hunting outfitter, I think four years ago now. So this will be our, our fourth season that we're running it. And uh, my business partner, Brandon Friesen, he actually runs the outfitter and uh, he's, he's an amazing guide and he's the only reason that we are successful when we bought the place to begin with. So it, uh, it's been quite the ride learning how to outfit and meeting guys from all over the States and, and, uh, guiding them on hunts and seeing them be successful in their first bears, or sometimes for guys have shot 20 or 30 bears and they're real picky about the ones they shoot. It's, it's been an awesome experience. Yeah, that's cool. I guess I feel like that might be a bit of a shocker. Like I've, I've got almost zero experience bear hunting. I've seen one black bear in the wild and to go and do a hunt like that. And it's just like, Hey man, like how long have you been doing this? And you're like, well, I just bought the business. I actually don't know how to do this, but my partner does. And, uh, it, I find that everybody I've talked to that goes up to Canada or really goes and does like a baited bear hunt anywhere. It becomes a yearly thing. They do it mm -hmm. every single year. And I think that just speaks to the type of hunting that you guys do and the oh, encounters yeah. that people have even my buddy he just he was telling me about a recent bear hunt that he went on and i'm like dude you had you had a bear like two feet from you and he's like oh yeah he's like i saw so many they were walking right past me and i'm like dude that's a whole different world what was that oh, like yeah. i mean not having that experience before or being like a hunter and then jumping into that world and seeing how it all works what i mean it had to be a culture shock Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Like it's kind of the same as you. I'd never even seen bears around really. I mean, we were farmers, so we'd see them in the back of our field sometimes and we we're harvesting corn or whatever, but it was always just like a, a wild animal that was way out there. And it was kind of, it was cool to see, but I was never into, uh, I never been close to them or anything. And exactly like you said, it's, it's a whole different experience when you're sitting in a tree stand and there's bears, multiple bears sometimes that are coming from different angles and black bears are so amazing for being able to like sneak up on you for a three or four or 500 pound animal to just show up and you turn your head and you're like, Whoa, it's right there. Like 20 yards away. <laughs> That's the, probably the craziest thing I've experienced personally is um, once in a while, we'll sit with our clients in the tree stand if they're not comfortable being in the bush or whatever. And, and just to be sitting there for a couple hours, nothing, nothing. And then all of a sudden you look to your right and you're like, Whoa, there's a bear right there how did that thing get here so quietly? That's, that's unreal. 
have you have you actually shot one at this point or do you still just outfit no i've i've harvested uh, i think five at this point oh myself nice. so yeah i just just got my spring bear here in uh so our our, our uh, outfitter is in manitoba and i actually live in british columbia on the west coast so um brandon lives in manitoba and he does the he runs the outfitter there so i just harvested my spring bear here in in bc like two weeks ago so nice. i uh tagged out for the spring that is awesome yeah that is that's a hunt that i definitely want to do have you has getting into bear outfitting and then hunting has that sparked any other hunting interests are you like branching out and trying a bunch of other types oh yeah absolutely so i like bear hunting is what really got me hooked and then from there i've i'm all in on hunting now i've i shot a nice whitetail at our farm when we still lived in manitoba and i've i've been unsuccessful so far but i've gone on mule deer hunts for the last four years here in bc and uh man those are tricky animals to hunt especially when you don't know what you're doing so <laughs> yeah it'd be nice uh, to i mean being up there you guys have access to so much wildlife mm -hmm. and you know some of it's similar to here but i feel like you guys it canada feels like everything is just bigger like the bears the moose the deer the mule deer the elk i don't know if it's the cold weather that forces them to like eat more nutrients or what but um when i see pictures coming out of canada of some of these mule deer i mean some of the biggest mule deer in the world are shot in canada every single mm -hmm. year oh yeah and whitetails too we uh i think two or three years back we we guided some whitetail hunts at uh, in manitoba and brandon guided the hunts and we had some guys from Michigan come up and they, they shot this absolute giant tank of a whitetail and the bot, I can't remember what it was, but I think it was over 300 pounds and it was just oh like an absolute goodness. tank. If you go on uh, Michigan whitetail pursuit on their website, you yeah. can see it. He shot it. They called it Frank the tank. I think they named it. It was a, just a giant. Over so we, we have some really big, big body deer up here. It's nuts. I, I mean, I grew up in Wisconsin, so as far as bodies go on whitetail, like in the U.S., we have some of the larger bodied whitetail, but mm. the fact that they continue to grow and get bigger, like just overall, it's funny when you see uh, a Canadian whitetail that's like a 180 inch deer, mm -hmm. it doesn't look like a 180 inch deer because <laughs> exactly. the body is so large on it. Exactly. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. The proportions just change a little bit <laughs> oh yeah what um back to back to bear hunting what what i mean you had to learn everything from start to finish when mm -hmm. it came to bear hunting was any of it like i guess different than you were expecting or did you not have any expectations going into it and you just were like i know nothing teach me at all yeah that that was pretty much how it was and the part that I actually found the most cool is the, um, like I, I love processing animals afterwards they're after they're harvested, like the skinning and taking the meat off and stuff. Like I, I actually, now that I've been a guide for a bunch of years and done that, I have more fun, uh, like skinning and, and taking the meat off of animals when other people shoot them than actually, uh, going hunting myself. And it's the, the big part of it, especially at the outfitter is that like the camaraderie part, we'll take the bear back to camp and we'll stand around with all the hunters and and uh well while we're skinning and stuff everyone's standing around and having a good time and that, that part of the hunt is is probably my favorite part yeah i 
I love the idea of like traveling. I'm guessing you guys get repeat guests that come oh, back yeah. each year. And there's something about that, like traveling somewhere, going and hunting, and then the camaraderie, like you said, of just hanging out at camp. Even mm-hmm. when you're not hunting, it's the time of your life. Oh, and for sure. I told my buddy Weston that. I was like, dude, I would go up there just to hang out at camp or just to do the four-wheeler ride in and like be excited for when everybody comes back with a bear or the stories mm-hmm. that they tell. Um, after after experiencing all of that, what I mean, the skinning side of it, you said is your favorite part. Is there anything that's like, oh man, this is not up my alley? Somebody else can do can do this aspect of the job. Um, not of the job itself, but um, I, I'm super impatient person. I, I could never, like, I have a lot of respect for the guys that will sit in a tree stand for the full eight hours that it takes to, to shoot some of these giant bears. Like, I, I, I don't know if I could do it and sit for eight hours in a row. I, I think it's amazing and it's, it's cool because you get to see a lot more wildlife that way. But my, that's not my personal favorite style of hunting just because I'm so impatient. Yeah. And, uh, but, but it's really cool. I've done it a couple times, like I said, with clients and sitting there in the forest and it's, it's it's a totally different experience than uh, than anything I've ever had before. And I bet you a lot of those guys say, I mean, they probably see wildlife that they would never see back home. Oh, absolutely. What, what other types of animals do you guys have there where the outfitter is? Um, so we do have deer up there and some moose, but um, the only things that really come into our bait sites will be wolves, which is, uh, every year we have probably like four or five guys that will see wolves cruise past. They're, they're really sneaky animals and you'll probably just see them like way off in the distance, but it's uh it's quite the experience last. How was it? Yeah. I think it was last fall. A guy shot a giant wolf off of his stand. I think it was like 80 yards out and uh, he took it from a bear bait. And uh, that that's probably the most <laughs> accelerating animal to see when you're sitting in a, a bear stand to see him. I think the most was like four wolves in a pack going kind of like just on the outskirts of a bait site. And uh, I, I wish I'd get to see that. That'd be pretty cool. That would be amazing. I I have seen one wolf in the wild. Mm. You know, it's actually close to home in Wisconsin. Um, on my way to the bus stop of all places, <laughs> my brother and I we were walking to the school bus, yeah. and it was up in a field. But that is very high on my bucket list is to mm. to hunt a wolf. Now, yeah, you. I know that before we started recording, you had mentioned in Manitoba really the only successful way to hunt bears is with bait and from a tree stand. Um, yeah. have you, have you tried hunting them a different way anywhere else or have uh, you stuck to that? Yeah. So here in BC, we, we got a lot of mountains and, and open country. So we, we do spot and stock. We're not actually allowed to bait here in BC. So it, it's a whole different way of hunting. And I, I don't know if it's better or worse. I, I like different parts of both of them, but, uh, here in BC, we only do spot and stock. So we're, okay. we're sitting for hours glassing or we're driving roads and, and then hiking up a ridge and see if we can see something from up there, that kind of stuff. Have you, have you got to experience, uh, hunting with hounds at all, or is that no. illegal up there? No, it's not illegal. Um, well, we can hunt for mountain lions with cats and I actually don't know for sure if we're allowed to hunt for bears with, um, with dogs, sorry. But uh, that's one thing that I've I've wanted to do. I tried to connect with some guys in the winter to go do some uh, some cougar hunting, 
but it just never worked out. It was too cold. It was actually something that I interesting I learned about um, hound hunting that once it's below minus 25 Celsius, they can't go out because the dog's lungs will freeze actually from the cold when they're like when they're actually exerting themselves chasing after an animal. Dang. So that was kind of cool to learn that. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. I didn't I didn't know that. I <laughs> guess the one guy that I went hound hunting with was in Utah. And so it doesn't get quite that cold, but he's like, dude, there's nothing like bear hunting with hounds because <clears> he said that they smell so bad or they have such a strong odor that the dogs can pick up that the dogs don't even have to have their nose to the ground. They can mm. just be driving on roads and from the bed of the pickup truck, or sometimes they'll uh, like chain them up on the hood of it. He's yeah. like, just by driving in their six feet above it, they can smell and they'll wow. start, they'll start howling. That's crazy. Bears do have a strong smell though. Like after we would do a lot of, of tracking, if somebody just injured a bear or something, we have to go track it and you can, when you get close to them, you can really smell them. It's, they have a very distinct smell. Man, I want to, I'm excited to see my first one up close like that or, you know, after someone shot it or hopefully do it myself. Um, I've heard also, and this is totally different, but you said you like skinning. I've mm -hmm. heard that when you skin a bear, the carcass with no fur on kind of resembles a human. Is that pretty accurate? I don't know. I mean, I, I've never really, I've never seen a skinned human, obviously, but a skinned bear, <laughs> I, I don't think it looks super similar. Maybe, maybe in some ways it does. And we don't hang our bears when we skin them. We have them on a table. So maybe that kind of helps with the, the non-humanness of it as well. Maybe if it's hanging, it looks worse, but uh, I haven't really noticed that myself. I've heard that said a lot, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's a bear yeah i think it's it's pretty berry <laughs> <laughs> and once you're around them a lot i mean i'm sure that people who who have no experience around them you know it, it's probably a shock because i've i've oh, yeah. had animals like that where once the fur's off you realize how much of the mass of it that you see is made up just by the coat oh and, for sure and i'm sure the bears are the same way you probably take that fur off and it's like Wait, that's all that's under there. I feel like oh yeah, more. Yeah, sometimes when guys will shoot like young bears or smaller bears, and once you skin it and uh, <laughs> take it, take the hide totally off, it's like wow, there's not this is not a big animal actually, and uh, it, it can be really surprising how much or how little is left after you shoot a bear that looks like a pretty good sized bear, and you take it all off. It's like whoa, this is uh yeah, not much bigger than a big dog. Yeah. What um. Do you guys hunt them both in the spring and in the fall? Yeah. Yeah, we have, we've had um, the last few years, more guys come in the spring just because it works better with their other hunting schedules for fall and whatever else. But for some reason we found this year that it's kind of 50, 50, like half the guys come in the spring and half in the fall. I'm not sure why that is, but it's interesting. The, the one thing that I'm very curious about and my buddy and I talked about it the other day on the podcast is the size difference between spring bears and fall bears because obviously in the fall they're bulking up for hibernation and in the spring they're coming out fairly depleted and ready to eat um what do you have like an average size that you shoot in the fall versus the spring weight wise not really actually it's it's surprising that i mean it depends where you are i guess and in manitoba it's a bit more um, dramatic of a difference between spring and fall 
And in the fall, that we'll definitely see like a good inch or two of fat a lot of times on this bear's back. And in the spring, it'll be less in some cases. But it's interesting, though, depending on the climate, because here, my buddy just shot a bear like three weeks ago here in BC again. And we have a real temperate climate here. Like it, we get snow for like a week out of the year and it's it's like classified as a temperate rainforest. So we're, we're pretty warm here. And this bear probably came out of hibernation like a few weeks before he shot it. And it had two inches of fat on his back. Like it, Dang. I don't know how much it went into hibernation with, but it was like, wow, this is crazy. So I think it really depends on the climate. And I'm sure they'll put on, in some cases, 50 or 100 pounds of, of fat in the fall, especially in, in colder climates. But uh, yeah, I think it depends a lot on the, the area. Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, 50 to 100 pounds of fat. My wife, I mean, she's she's not happy with the 15 pounds that I've put on. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine 50, 50 to 100. Uh, what What are they eating up there? I mean, like up where you guys bait aside from like the stuff that you guys bring in, is it, is it mostly vegetation or are they, are they preying on other animals a lot? No, it's, it's for sure. Mostly vegetation. Um, some near some of the rivers and stuff, the bears will eat the fish and um, during certain times of the year, but it's definitely mostly vegetation in the spring. It's like um, when we're just getting going in the, in the early spring, like grass and dandelions and all that kind of stuff. will will shoot bears all the time in their mouth. And their stomachs are just right full of dandelions and soft, soft vegetation like that. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then when you guys come in and start baiting, what are you bringing for them? I mean, I, I always hear that they like sweets. Um, and then I've heard things like beaver, that they love beaver carcasses. Mm. What do yeah. you guys bait with? So our normal bait is um, trail mix and mixed with peanut butter. So we will get like big 55 gallon drums of peanut butter and mix it up with trail mix and throw that in a barrel and that they'll uh, the peanut butter mixes with the with the um trail mix and makes like these balls and that just rolls and tumbles and they get their claws in there and work on that for hours and hours and um we've tried beaver before i mean it's we don't have access to a lot of beavers but man they go nuts over those things it's really? uh yeah they just shred them apart it's I that uh whatever i can't remember what it's called anymore that the gland that those beavers have that that certain smell and the bears just go absolutely crazy that's really interesting because i didn't really know the the beaver thing at all i mean i just thought you know sweets and my mom <laughs> would go to places and get like expired cookies and mm -hmm. you name it i mean she'd pick it up at discount stores and just fill <laughs> fill it with any type of sweet that she possibly could yeah. and she would go and hunt them but yeah beaver that's a that's a new one um are are these like are the are they skinned is it just the carcass or are they like full fur on everything yeah just the full full beaver we had uh uh for one season we we were gonna buy another outfitter like four hours farther north from the one that we have now so i went up there and guided for a season and they had a lot more beavers up there and there was trappers and stuff that would um, they were trapping them for the highways just to get rid of them. And, uh, so we would put them at bait sites and the bears would just destroy bait sites, trying to get at these beavers and they would just, just shred them. Dang. Yeah. That's yeah. Canada is a whole different animal. I'm like, Canada is basically because <laughs> 
everybody from everybody in the US, you know, it's like Alaska. Alaska is the most wild place you can go. Yeah. It seems like Canada is fairly I mean, the whole place seems kind of wild to us. <laughs> um is, is there is there any other province excuse me, provinces that you are looking at getting into or even if it's just for hunting and not necessarily business? Yeah, well, personally, I'd love to uh, to hunt a grizzly bear, and the only one of the few places left to do that would be um, Alberta, or I guess the Yukon. We could do it in too, but then you have to go through an outfitter. So I think as just a Canadian citizen, I can still go to Alberta if I have a Alberta resident that goes with me. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that that would be definitely one of my bucket list hunts to get a grizzly. I've never even really seen one up close yet, so. That's uh, that's a whole nother level of bear hunting as grizzlies compared to black bears. Yeah. Would you do that with a bow or with a rifle? I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting into bow hunting and I wouldn't be right now. I wouldn't be confident enough with my bow to, to take it against the grizzly. So we'll see. Hopefully by the time I get the chance, I'll be more competent with my bow. <laughs> I feel like even lifelong bow hunters, uh, once you, once you talk about a grizzly being in front of them, I mean, I love shooting my bow and I would definitely want to do it, but I would second guess myself pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. Like somebody <laughs> please have a rifle right behind me just in case things go south. Yeah. Most bow hunters still do. I think, um, that they'll have someone with, a, with a, <laughs> a large caliber weapon standing right behind them just in case, because those grizzlies are, are something else. They can be extremely aggressive and even with an arrow in them i've seen them do a cover a lot of distance with the arrow in their vitals yeah i'm out on that part of it i i I joke (laughs) with my wife and with my buddies that if i knew i would survive i would totally take like one swipe just like to have an awesome (laughs) scar but i'm sure seeing them in person i'm like nah no uh, i'm not gonna risk it. it i'm not i'm not messing around with that no um, the, the five bears that you've got, have they been all with, have they all been with a bow or, uh, are no. some of them firearms? Yeah, actually all, f- all of them have been firearms. Cause I, oh, nice. I shot my first one in Manitoba and that was just around the time when I was getting into hunting. And, uh, that one was, it was still on our farm or like close to our farm, one of my buddy's properties. But, uh, and then out here in BC, I've never been able to get close enough to a bear to shoot him with a bow. This spring we tried like crazy we tried really hard i got within 60 yards of one like a super nice bear me and my buddy and then it the wind changed and it got us and so then we took our rifles out the next few times just because we wanted to harvest something before the season was over so made it a bit easier yeah the i think it'd be cool i mean especially over bait you know you have Mm -hmm. a lot more assurance that they're going to be close but I can't imagine trying to stalk a predator like that with a bow. I mean, <laughs> to just sneak in on it because obviously their senses are elite. And, oh, yeah. And I've watched those videos of guys that are trying to do spot and stalk and the wind shifts, and they might be mm-hmm. 400 yards away, and that bear just doesn't like it, and it's gone, even though oh, it's across yeah. the valley. That bear's nose are so, so crazy. It's insane. So the one that we're sneaking up on we got within like 60 yards and there was no good cover after that so we had to wait for it to come to us and just seeing that it was a huge bear it was probably like 400 pounds or so and it was just seeing it that close coming straight towards you it's like wow this is 
your heart's going like a mile a minute and it's that's like next level adrenaline is crazy oh man yeah that would be wild and i've seen people that will like especially in the spring do predator calls for them Mm -hmm. and so it's like not only do you have that where it's like coming towards you but now you're making a sound as if you're prey and he's coming in because he's hungry and he thinks he's going to get a free meal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's just at, that's messing with fire at that point. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I've been reading a, um, this book right here from, uh, from uh, Douglas Bose about predator calling for bears. And uh, I, I've never really heard of that before. I'm like, wow, that sounds like <laughs> would be a crazy experience to have bears charging in thinking there's like a, a dead rabbit or a dying rabbit or something. And so I just got this little call actually like last week. I'm going to try it out in the fall or um, if I have time yet this spring, but uh, I'm going to definitely try that soon. And uh, it'll, I think that's going to be some pretty exciting. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, anytime you're using a call like that for a predator, it's just a different level of like mm-hmm. adrenaline. And I see it even with coyote hunting. I mean, that's, We've called in coyotes now, and uh, in Texas we called in pigs with okay. a with a piglet squeal. Interesting. And, uh, that was wild because we were hunting them at night, and we had thermals and night vision. Yeah. And when we did that, you play that piglet squeal, and instead of them coming in, responding to prey, they're coming in because they think something's got a piglet, and they're coming to defend it. And it was oh, wow. literally the second that we hit that call, boom, two sows were running all the way really? to us. But wow. I want to do predator calling for, for bears and wolves. I feel mm-hmm. like both would be a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. So I, what I've read and what I've been learning the last little bit is that when you're predator calling for bears, um, you want to make sure you got a, a big cliff or a tree or a big rock on your back because most of the time when you're in bear country, you're also in cougar country and they'll they'll sneak up from behind you or drop down from a tree or something crazy. So you want to be uh, very aware of what's going on around you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd have two people like we just sit back to back, turn the mm-hmm. call on and see what happens. Um, <laughs> that actually happens quite a bit where uh, people will be turkey hunting and they'll have <laughs> other animals come in. I know there was a guy, I don't remember what state, but I think it was this past season or maybe two seasons. No, I think it was this past one. He was turkey calling. And I mean, you're completely covered up. You might have a turkey decoy out in front of you. But he said all of a sudden he just got hit. He's like, dude, it felt like somebody punched me in the face. (laughs) And he's like, I didn't I didn't know anything was going on at all. I'm just calling. And all of a sudden, boom. And I I pick myself up or get myself back together. And I look and a mountain lion's running off. And a mountain lion had come in. And just hit him because it came around the tree that he was at and yeah. thought that he was a turkey. And Whoa. so, yeah, it just hit him once that's and then crazy. it was gone. And I'm like, dude, that's, wow. yeah, that's, that's a little <laughs> bit sketchy. No kidding. I feel that's like at that nuts. point, you just have a call like at the base of your tree and then you could be <laughs> up in a tree stand. Maybe that's a little bit better yeah. of an idea. Yeah. If we're definitely have someone with you, I think that would be uh, wise. Yeah, we've I've done uh I've done some nighttime coyote hunting. That's mm. a lot of fun, but here in here in Missouri, you can't use or it used to be that you couldn't use artificial light at all. 
Okay. And so you had to have like full moon or snow on the ground in order mm -hmm. to be able to see anything. I see. And there was one time where I went out in the field and I'm sitting there by myself. I mean, I'm probably like 300 yards away from the house and I started calling and it was a full moon night. I could see not really well, but I could enough. And I was like, man, if one comes in, I've got my shotgun, I've got buckshot in it. Like, yeah, I could possibly make it happen. And I heard something snap right behind me, like five yards. <laughs> and I just slowly turn and there's a coyote that was sneaking in right on me. Oh, wow. And uh, I ended up not even getting a shot at it because it, it got spooked <laughs> and ran off. And by the yeah. time I pulled the trigger, it was too far. But uh, wow, there, That's yeah, crazy. there's just a different level when you're trying to tell them that you are free food mm -hmm. and they come in. They're not, you know, nearly as worried about human presence at that point or like checking their surroundings. I feel like they're just coming in to eat. Oh, exactly. I, like a. I've been reading and stuff and it's like, well, be the prey, like move around and then call a little more and then move some more. It's like, okay, well, I'm the prey. This is uh this is interesting. Yeah. I'm baiting uh, with myself. Yeah, exactly. It's uh most situations, probably the least favorable thing you could be doing. Oh yeah. Um, do you guys ever hunt from the ground at the outfitter or is it always in a tree? Yeah. Usually it's in a tree. Sometimes if, if somebody, um, for physical reasons or whatever, they can't get up in a tree stand, then they'll sit in a ground blind. But most of the time it's uh, in a tree stand. We've had a couple of times where we've had um, vets come that have been injured and stuff and they can't climb or whatever. And then we'll uh, we'll get a ground blind set up for them. But it usually works better from from a stand if you can. Yeah. Have you seen And what is the reason that it works better from a stand? Is it visibility? Is it wind? Is it something else? Yeah, a, a, kind of a combination. I mean, you're you're up above the bears, so if they tr come in and they try to circle around to see where the um, like if there's something at the bait already, then there's a, a lower chance of them seeing or smelling you. And yeah, you're up in the trees, and so then when they're real close, they're even and they have terrible eyesight, but from 20 yards they can still see pretty good. So yeah, if you're if you're up in the tree as well as 20 yards away, then there's less chance of them seeing you. Or are you guys basically putting people in stands based on wind direction or do you guys have like a pretty good scent control regimen that you go through? Um, or is it, you know, you get them up there, the bears are so focused on food. It's not quite as big of an issue. No, we do try to play the wind as much as we can. Usually uh, the way it works, we'll, we'll have lunch at like 1 PM or something in the afternoon. And then we'll go, um, we'll go to the tree stands like two to three or something. And then we'll, we'll definitely, we'll have a few sites that we're thinking of putting them in. And then depending on the wind, we'll pick, okay, this one's better for it. And, and, uh, it just gives them an extra, uh, that extra edge. A lot of times the big bears will, will do a full circle of the bait site anyway. So you kind of lose your advantage there, but, uh, it's just an extra little thing you can do so that they're more comfortable when they're actually at the bait site. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, are how, how close to the bait site? Are the tree stands uh anywhere between 50 and 25 or 30 yards max okay so you're you're in pretty close yeah which Man. makes it exciting <laughs> <laughs> yeah i could imagine especially it i feel like everybody i've talked to recently about bear hunting they all say the same thing that you did earlier about how sneaky they are like mm -hmm. a bear uh, i mean 
that's not a small animal by any means and how quietly they can get in there sometimes i wish that squirrels would be a little bit more quiet because every time i'm deer hunting it sounds like a bear is running through the woods and it's Mm -hmm. just a squirrel but yeah exactly i i know it's it's absolutely amazing like a couple times where i've i've seen them before i heard them and so you can watch them like walking and you don't hear anything they just like silently walking through the bush and it's like wow how do they do that yeah i i don't understand animals period like i mean i get it they have to be quiet in order to survive Mm -hmm. whether it's to avoid predation or to get to prey or you know just to avoid fights or encounters with other animals but um what what can people expect like when they come up to the outfitter um are, are you guys like roughing it out there do you guys have like wall tents and stuff or are you guys setting people up in lodges what does that look like yeah, no. So we got, um, when people come to our camp, we got, um, cabins that they're in and they're, it's pretty, uh, it, it's a nice setup. Like they're, we got heat and AC and, um, TV, Wi-Fi, everything, everything you want or you could want at a camp, running water, all that stuff. So we have a lot of, uh, businessmen that'll come up and do work in the, in the mornings. And we only really hunt in the afternoon anyway. So after lunch, they'll do their hunting and we're usually, this time of year when they're hunting like right now it doesn't get dark till sometimes like 11 so they're sitting in the tree stand from say like 3 till 10 or 11 depending on the the week but well uh it's it's not we're not roughing it by any means (laughs) yeah no that's cool i mean there's times when i like to rough it and there's times Mm -hmm. where i'm like dude a movie sounds really good right now (laughs) and after those long days in the tree stand i mean People, people obviously uh, associate spot and stock hunting with more physical, like, you know, you're going to be exhausted, but there's yeah. a certain exhaustion that comes from sitting in a tree stand for hours. Oh, for and sure. Hours. And yeah. it's hard to explain unless someone's experienced it. Oh yeah. And just being alert for that long period of time. And it's just, just you and, and the bush and, and bears if they come in and it's, there's, like you said, there's definitely a different aspect to it. Just, uh, it's kind of like. I mean, like working physically or, or working with your mind, you can be just as or more tired when you're uh, when you're thinking all day instead of actually working. So this is oh, a different sure. different way of uh, of hunting. Yeah. How many how many um, bait sites and or hunting sites do you guys have, and how many acres are you hunting? Well, we're our area that we're allocated is about a million acres, and yeah. we have depending on the season as well, depending on how high the river is and all that, but we'll have between like 40 and 60 bait sites running Holy on a typical God. season. Yeah. So we that, have, we'll have a lot to choose from. That is insane. <laughs> like I would, I wasn't expect. I don't know what number I was expecting, but that's <laughs> amazing. Um, uh, with that, are you guys, are you guys running trail cameras at each site, oh, tracking yeah. bears, figuring out, you know, if For someone sure. wants a certain color bear or a certain size bear, uh, yeah. that, I feel like that would be almost as exciting. Like the different things that you get coming across trail cameras, especially up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, that's been one of my favorite things with whitetail hunting is being able to track them and just like track the progression. Like, Hey, I remember this deer from last year. Now look at where it is. But yeah. for you guys, I mean, the same bear year after year, getting to know them, uh, figuring out their patterns. Are they, are they, 
pretty patternable like whitetails are like once they get in a routine they're going to do it or will they just kind of disappear for a while well in in the spring like right now it's it's like uh close to breeding season so then they get a, a lot more erratic and they'll be all over the place but uh, earlier in the season when they're just thinking about food and and kind of filling up after hibernating then they they're quite patternable then they'll come at it usually at a certain time and and come eat and then leave and then in the fall again when they're really looking to put that extra weight on then they'll be more patternable but like late spring and they can get real uh squirrely they'll be all over the place they'll show up they like we've had them show up like 10 or 20 miles away in a short like period of time because they're big boars or they're chasing females or whatever they're doing looking to expand their territory and they'll travel like crazy dang yeah. that's wild to think like 15 to 20 miles just oh yeah they're, they're just going <laughs> yeah man uh do you guys have are they kind of the top predator up there aside from like packs of wolves yeah 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 for sure we got wolves and bears we don't have any grizzlies in that area um and so way up north i think i can't remember what the town is called but there's one area in north western manitoba i guess it is where we got grizzlies polar bears and black bears all in the same like area i think that's one of the few places in the world so that, that's kind of cool but that's definitely not where we are is can you hunt polar bear anywhere anymore or are they completely off the list i'm as far as i know you can't hunt them unless maybe there's some special tags that you can get through um through the natives or something i'm not 100 okay. sure how that works but um as far as i know you can't hunt them and if you do it's like hundreds of thousands of dollars oh yeah yeah i <laughs> i'm not gonna have that problem anytime soon i, <laughs> I won't be able to do that um, no. but yeah that's wild to think that there's black bear grizzly and polar bears all in all mm -hmm. in the same location that oh yeah yeah geez. and polar bears are, are like a big problem in some of those northern communities we had a guide the first year that he had worked up there and done some work on the um he had worked for manitoba hydro and they would have like in some of those towns they would have like problem polar bears where they had to everyone kept their doors open because like a random person walking down the street might have to run into just a stranger's house because there's a bear walking down the road so they left all their vehicles and houses open so you can just go in anywhere if you need to <laughs> <laughs> i can only imagine like just sitting there watching tv at night and some stranger burst through your door like sweating and out of breath because there's a bear yeah. oh my gosh yeah that's a that's a problem that you know us down here in the lower 48 we don't have to really worry about a whole lot <laughs> yeah no and there's a similar I don't know how bad it is exactly because I don't know. I haven't heard any firsthand accounts, but they they banned the grizzly bear hunting here in BC a bunch of years back. And there's some towns now in like in grizzly country where the grizzlies are getting so bold because they know nobody's going to hunt them. They can do what they want pretty much that they're coming right into town and and people are scared for their kids and for themselves. And it's it's getting real crazy. I think there's a bunch of outfitters and hunters now that are suing the government saying like we need like guys listen to the science here like we need to get this hunt back up and going because it's not going to be good in a few years from now yeah and i remember when they first <clears throat> outlawed it um it it was a big debate topic mm -hmm. where it's like there's bears that really they do get too comfortable in any type of wildlife around people mm -hmm. like life is easier for animals close to people it just for is sure. and 
when when you have a a predator that side nom or size an omnivore you know that could easily take out a person mm-hmm. you can't let them get comfortable it's not like having deer in town you know no, it's not exactly. like having some raccoons that might get in the trash every <laughs> now and then when you're talking about a 700 pound animal that really likes to eat meat and chase things like yep. you can't put exactly. that in your people no and they'll do the same things as raccoons do they'll come in and right into people's yards and rip apart their garbage. But at the same time, like you said, they're <clears throat> a dangerous predator. So you can't, it's not, you can't just let them roam wild like that. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. So <clears throat> is it only there that they've outlawed it? Do, does every other province uh, still have it or? Yeah. So Alberta and um, the Yukon, and I guess um, they're probably be the main two grizzly areas. Okay. And you're still out to hunt them there. Nice. <clears throat> yeah grizzly man like bears in general it's it's interesting and i know you experienced this like you said because you didn't grow up around bears or have a whole lot of experience but to someone who's not around it it just seems like a weird thing you know like you see bears in zoo or in zoos mm-hmm. to be out there and actually see one that's like hey this maybe had never seen a person before mm-hmm. or you know when this thing leaves here it doesn't have like this fake cave to go sleep in on a hay bale that, you know, someone spread out for them. This exactly. is a completely wild animal. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds awesome. I mean, oh, I, yeah, I'm definitely going to try it. It's so cool. So I, like here in BC where we hunt there, we found this place right at the base of a huge cliff where there's all these like massive rocks and there's all caves underneath them. And we found some really cool bear dens where you can see that they've been living in there and We've never seen like fresh sign of them, but you can, that bear smell, you could see, you know, that they were there and that they're living there. So it's, it's super cool to, to see that part of, of nature, not just when they're out feeding or whatever, but this is where they live. Yeah. Do, like each, I guess, I don't know how to say this. Does a bear have the same den like night after night for a certain period of time, or will they bounce back <clears throat> and forth between multiple dens? like throughout a week? I'm not actually sure. That's, that's a good question, but I'm not sure if they bounce around. I know some bears will stay in the same like general area for a long period of time, but I don't know if they go back to like a specific home for better lack of <laughs> lack of better term, but I'm not sure if that's what they do or if they just kind of just bed down wherever they end up that night. Yeah, I know. I mean, I've heard some stuff about it. Uh, I think it was Clay Newcomb was talking about, mm. um, how, how bears, you know, like one year might have a certain den and another year might have an, a different one. But I didn't hmm. know if it was like for the full year <clears throat> or if they're just talking about a general area. And then another thing that I thought was really interesting is that they've been doing studies and Arkansas actually has a really large bear population, mm-hmm. which it seems crazy far south for that. But um, I was just down there two days ago and I was talking to a guy and he was showing me pictures of giant black bear that come yeah. in, uh, that he has on his trail camera. Um, but anyways, they, they've been finding that a lot, there's not a lot, but there are several bears that will actually hibernate in the hollow part of a dead tree, sometimes 40 feet up in the air. Oh, and so wow. instead of being in a den down low, they actually somehow can fit down in these, Huh. hollow parts of trees and they'll spend the whole winter there 
or you know, they'll give birth to cubs up there. Yeah. Wow, that's kind of cool. Never yeah, heard of that before. That's, huh. They seem like a really versatile animal, and yeah, you'll have to check it out. Go, I mean, just look yeah. it up and look up bears hibernating inside of trees. There was another one, and I know we're kind of getting off on a tangent here, but that's all right. <laughs> uh, this guy, he was cutting down a tree, and he had a chainsaw mm -hmm. with a giant bar on it, and he cuts down this tree. And I mean, he cut it like a couple feet off the ground, yeah. uh, but it was like three trunks all uh, conjoined at the bottom. Okay. They came up, and as soon as he cut it, it tips over, and out pops a bear out of the stump <laughs> that was left. And he had oh, no wow. idea. I mean, he was just logging yeah. and he sh i'm like dude that'd be the <laughs> most shocking thing ever you know normally you have to make sure the tree doesn't fall on you yeah and now you <clears throat> cut it down and a bear pops out of the bottom oh of that's it. crazy that's another good video i man i get lost <laughs> i get if it wasn't for my wife keeping me on track i'd be watching youtube in like short videos all day long because <laughs> i don't know they're fascinating that's awesome um how many people do you guys can you guys have up at camp at at one time like say a group of guys wanted to come up and and do a bear hunt yeah usually our groups are like between six and ten or so the max we can do is 12 okay and a, a nice week for us like just the for running the camp is yeah eight eight or ten is okay. just a nice a nice number so that we can everyone's taking care of the best 12 is gets a bit a bit much unless we get extra guides but yeah that's so. awesome yeah um, no, it's, it's a lot of fun we're legally we're allowed to guide um three hunters per guide and okay. that that works pretty well yeah that i mean the logistics of it you've got it figured out i i'm i'm at the point you were when you bought the when you bought the place <laughs> um but speaking of of buying businesses why don't you talk about bear beans coffee for a bit yeah. because i know that you got into that and I, I checked out your website and it's all about um, good coffee and helping bears. And so yeah. I feel like I would be doing you a disservice to not give you a chance to share about that. No, I appreciate it. So last year um, it was kind of our, our second season of, of COVID, which was really hard on us because the border was closed and people couldn't come across and like all of our clients, except for one, are American. So that, that hit us pretty hard for a couple seasons there. And uh, we were trying to think of ways, like, how can we keep this thing alive? How can we stay in the bear hunting industry and, and, uh, and kind of keep going with it. And kind of at the same time, I had moved away from Manitoba back here to British Columbia. So I wasn't physically at the outfitter anymore. And I couldn't really help as much as I would have liked to at the time. So we were thinking of different things to do. And I'm like, well, I drink a ton of coffee and um, I love bear hunting and I kind of want to do something that where we can like give back to bear conservation because I thought that was kind of cool too. And I did a whole bunch of research and yeah, we kind of started it from nothing. It was just an idea in I think October and December, we kind of got started selling coffee and promoting the brand and stuff. So it's uh, it's been quite the ride starting a business from nothing that way. And, and uh yeah, figuring out how that all works, shipping it and, and, uh, getting good coffee. I had to learn about, about coffee. Cause I, like I was saying earlier, I, I drank coffee since I was a kid, but, uh, it was always just garbage grocery store coffee. And now, now I'm starting to learn a lot about good coffee and I can't drink that other stuff anymore. So 
it's uh it's been a learning experience in all kinds of ways and it's so much fun and another thing of it was that my wife and i we've kind of decided that from now on we're not gonna be part of any business unless there's an aspect of like giving back to a community of some sort so this was perfect fit for that so we're able to give 10 percent of our proceeds back to conservation all over north america and it's it's been super fulfilling and we've met so many great people through the course of it just in the last like six months yeah that's amazing and i mean coffee <laughs> coffee is like a staple all across <laughs> civilization i feel like anywhere you go <laughs> that has civilization has coffee mm -hmm. i this is one of the areas like i mentioned before we started recording that i just i don't relate to people because i'm not a coffee drinker and it's really funny because there's something there's something so intriguing about coffee that even though my wife isn't a coffee drinker she wants me to be one because she just <laughs> thinks it's cool she's like just for you to like wake up and have a cup of coffee in the morning i just feel like there's a level of attractiveness about it and i'm like really really i've literally never thought like if i saw you drink something it would make you a better looking person and uh, anyways it's just kind of a joke that we have i'm like oh, oh yeah so all, you like That's all the hilarious. guys at starbucks are they more attractive to you <laughs> well maybe i'll have to send you some coffee and then you'll be more attractive to your wife <laughs> i know right yeah i i've tried it like here and there but yeah like i told you i've never had a full glass of coffee in my life i mean huh. everyone and it's funny because literally everybody wants me to try it and I'm like guys you're wasting good coffee on me I don't know <laughs> like you could give me Folgers or anything else because yeah. I'm not a coffee drinker I just won't even probably be able to I'll, I'll be able to tell a difference in taste but mm -hmm. I don't even know what it's supposed to taste like if it's good exactly and yeah my that's funny my wife is like that too she's never drank coffee and she'll try some from me sometime and I'm like hey try this coffee this is a new one and she's like yeah it's just coffee oh yeah <laughs> Yeah. Well, it was the same thing for beer. Like early on, there's those people mm -hmm. that could tell you almost everything about a beer just by tasting it. And yeah. I'm like, I, I just don't like, yeah, sure. I'll have one here and there, but I don't know a whole lot about it. And, <laughs> and then there's people like my buddy and he tells, yeah, he'll just like take a drink and he'll be like, oh, this is, this is that one like secret ingredient that's in this. And this is the type of beer. And I didn't yeah. even realize how many different ones there were until we were actually in Alaska at a brewery hanging out with some friends and they mm -hmm. had the chart of all like the different sub types okay. of beer. And I'm yeah. like, dude, there's like 300 different types of beer that you can get. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I see uh, lager and IPA and things like that. Other than that, I couldn't tell you <laughs> what it was. Um, but yeah. That's hilarious. The, the beverage industry is a whole different world. Um, but that's amazing that you guys have been able to start a coffee company, give back 10% to conservation. And that's, mm -hmm. that's no joke. I mean, 10% is a lot of, a lot of what a business makes, you know, yeah. there's some businesses that that's their margin. And so the fact <laughs> that you're able to give 10% back, uh, you know, to the outdoor activities that you love is pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, the, Probably my favorite part about that whole thing is that the the connections that we've made like everywhere like the guys from blood origins and um how for wildlife and and people from all over it's been such a such a great um community like the the conservation community and 
bear hunters like Colby Moorhead from the bear hunting magazine. Those guys are just all so awesome. And I'm so grateful to have met them all. And it's all because of the coffee business and giving back to conservation. So that's, that's been like incredibly fulfilling to, to be part of that. And I mean, right now we're not making a ton of money, so we're not able to give a ton back yet, but just being that small part of like, Hey, we're actually doing good in the world. And that's, it's, it feels so good. It's just, it's the best thing ever. Yeah, that's cool. Have you have you got to do any hands-on work with conservation organizations yet? Around no, yours? not not yet. But um, you were mentioning Arkansas before, and they just had that a big fundraiser for their um, their collaring project yeah. that's coming up soon. And that Blood Origins ran that whole thing, and and we were able to be part of that um, the giveaway part of it because all of the winners of that whole uh, fundraising event are all getting our coffee as as one of their prizes. So that's one part that we can do is, is to give coffee to people that are, are donating to causes like that. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, is there in, this might just be naive of me. Is there <laughs> like an, uh, a national or a continental like bear organization right now? Yeah. So it used to be called the Western bear foundation. And just recently in the last couple of months, they renamed it as the American bear foundation. And that's run by Joe Condellas and they, they run a super, super core organization where they, um, they were more focused on the Western States before, but now they're kind of branching out over the whole country and yeah, they, they support bear conservation, um, all across the board. So that's, that's the organization to support. If you're like, if you want to do the, the best good for bear hunting specific. And, and of course there's lots of more state level organizations like Michigan bear hunter association and, and uh, a whole bunch of other ones it's i love seeing within the hunting community all of these like subcultures of people mm -hmm. who are just die hard about bear hunting or totally houndsmen or turkey hunters and yeah. to see people like find that common ground especially when everyone's divided you know like everybody has an oh, opinion yeah. of how you're supposed to do it what's right what's wrong what makes you a better hunter what doesn't but when you see these organizations, I mean, it's it's just like everybody of one mind going after the same cause, which is typically the bettering of habitat, the population, the age structure for mm -hmm. a certain species. So exactly, no, yeah, it's that's so awesome. cool. I, I uh, a guy called me a few weeks ago. He was some guy was like eighty years old or something. He was from Michigan and he had been a bear hunter his whole life. And I I don't know if his health or whatever, but he wasn't able to bear hunt anymore. But him and I had like an hour long conversation about bear hunting and one of his son-in-laws was a hunter. So he was going on about that. And it was, it was such a cool experience to talk to this old guy. And he was just, he just, everything about him was he just loved bear hunting. And it was, it was so cool to have those kind of conversations with people. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, what before I know we're coming up on an hour, Holy cow. I just looked at my oh, wow. clock and that's, that's crazy to me. Um, what can someone expect or what should they plan for when it comes to a bear hunt? Say they're coming up from the States. Um, do you guys have like the firearms provi to provide or do they need to figure that whole thing out, getting them checked across the border? Um, I, yeah, I guess what are some tips that you would give somebody who wants to go up to Canada and hunt a bear for the first time? Yeah, for sure. So it's, it's actually easier than you might think. Um, so when, when you hunt or book a hunt with bear track, which is our company, 
we we take care of absolutely everything. So you show up and if you're flying in, you fly into Winnipeg, um, which is our only big city in in Manitoba, and we'll pick you up from there, bring you to our camp, and you don't have to take care of anything from that point. We take care of, like I was saying, the cabins, your lodging, all of your food, all of your transport back and forth everywhere. And to get firearms in, it's actually surprisingly easy. Um, Brandon, my business partner, he does all of that kind of stuff, but he'll just send a form that you have to fill in, bring it with you to the border or to the airport, wherever you're going. And just to prove that what you're doing with your firearms when you come in and it's, it's very pain-free and super easy. We don't provide weapons for people. I don't think we might've done it once or something, but, um, we definitely don't, don't try to do that. Okay. People are usually better with their own weapons and it's just not something we want to get into. Um, just for liability and whatever else. So, but, uh, but yeah, once, once you show up at our camp, we take care of absolutely everything from that point until when you leave. So if you're flying, you show up at Winnipeg, you'll stay usually flying Sundays and then stay the whole week and we'll drop you off again Saturday, take care of everything from, um, yeah, like I was mentioning meals, lodging, um, all the transport to hunting locations, all that stuff. We'll take care of all your meal prep. Um, and like taking the meat and the hides and all that stuff and getting that ready for transport. And we even have a, a really good taxidermist in Winnipeg who does a lot of our customer stuff. And, uh, so we can take it or organizing that as well. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and I've seen like the bear rugs and even a European mount of a bear skull. Um, that's all pretty awesome. Do mm-hmm. you guys, is it required by law to take the meat when you shoot one there? Because I didn't even know this, but apparently some places you don't have to do anything with the meat because of trichinosis and and the potential of getting that. Hmm. Well, I I actually don't know for sure um, the the laws regarding like if you have to take the meat. We always do just because we don't want it to go to waste. And um, if people don't want it, then we'll take it ourselves for our own families or whatever. So we never let it go to waste either way, even if they can't or they don't want to transport it. So we'll take the meat off and, and, uh, usually by the end of bear season, we'll have a freezer full that we take home and share with our friends and family. So it, uh, it never goes to waste either way. Yeah, that's cool. I, yeah. that, I mean, that was very surprising to me because I've been places where they're very strict about how much of it you have to take. I mean, like mm-hmm. all the little things that most hunters don't even, don't even bring home and, yeah. um, and then to find out that there's certain places where if you hunt a mountain lion or a bear, you don't have to take anything except for this, uh, except for the Cape. Hmm. And it just seemed different to me, I guess. I mean, yeah, I get it. You know, like if you've got a family and you're afraid that cooking it might not get the trichinosis out or whatever, and your family could get sick from it. But at the same time, I'm like, man, that's a lot of good meat. Oh, absolutely. I've had bear burger. I think one time I haven't had mountain lion yet. But those are two of the bigger carriers um, for Trick. And I'm just like, dude, that's so much good meat. Like, oh, yeah. Absolutely. How much much meat do you get off of, uh, like, say, say someone shot a 400 pound bear? How much of that would be meat in comparison to like the bones and the intestines and fur? Yeah. So I don't know. It's so. It varies even on a bear that size it'll vary how much meat you can get off of it but i would say like a good hundred pounds you'd be able to get out of it so it's yeah there's a significant amount of meat that you can get off of um especially some of the bigger bears 
it's uh it's it's really good and it's it's super good and people sometimes a lot of people will ask like oh you guys eat bear like that's isn't it kind of gross and i'm like no it's you got to prepare it proper and and take care of it right but it's actually can be really good really good meat and the trigonosis as long as you cook it to the right temperature then there's no nothing to worry about at all so yeah it's uh it, sure you got to be aware of it but but it's not like it's gonna be a huge problem yeah what's your what's your favorite bear recipe um so we make like pulled pork style usually of uh like bear roast and we'll we'll slip put it in a slow cooker for like up to two days sometimes just put on super low and just let it go and let it go and it's it turns into like absolutely amazing meat oh my god just gosh. super super tender and just yeah like falling apart and i love it it's so good i should have known not to ask that question because of this <laughs> meal plan i'm on i can't i i mean i'm very limited on what i can eat right now and so oh. Just you saying that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I would do anything for that meal right now. <laughs> well, it's awesome. Well, what's next for you, Will? I mean, because obviously you're, it seems like you're kind of a serial entrepreneur. You love looking yep. for the next thing. Um, but bear hunting and the conservation of bears has found a special place in your heart. Uh, what's next? That's a good question, man. I, I, uh, I've been putting a lot of energy into the coffee business recently and I, I mean, still now it's, it's, I have a full-time job on the side that's completely unrelated to hunting or anything. Um, my family business is, uh, we grow like ornamental plants and stuff. So I, that's my full-time job, but, uh, but yeah, I've been putting a lot of, of work into bear beans and I think what's next is I'm going to keep going that brand into, um, and keep supporting the conservation with maybe merch and all that kind of stuff. Right now, we've just got the three coffees. And I could see it going into all kinds of other stuff. I got ideas for um, branching out into more beverages. Maybe there's some local breweries that are really cool and that are pretty like outdoors minded. So I have some ideas of, of maybe branching into that market eventually. But uh, for now, we're, we're pushing the coffee and seeing how far we can get with that. Man, that's awesome. And dude, yeah, I feel like you could have some pretty cool marketing if you get into like the beer side of things. Mm -hmm. Like you just have a drunk bear on everything like it, it'd be like a mascot you're gonna end up having a professional team named after it yeah exactly well man before we hop off this call i want to give you a chance to share where people can find you where they could book a hunt where they could uh buy some coffee and um yeah hopefully hopefully people take advantage of it i know we might have a side conversation after this about a potential hunt in the future, but um, where can other people find you? Yeah, absolutely. So for the the bear hunting and the, the outfitting, um, if you hit up Brandon, my business partner at uh, beartrekoutfitters.com or uh, beartrekoutfitters on Instagram, he'll get you all squared away with bear hunts and answer any questions you have. Um, he's the, the best bear hunter I know. So um, don't be asking me, be ask him because he'll give you better answers. And uh, on the coffee side of things, uh, bearbeans.com is our website. And you can follow us on Instagram at uh, bearbeans.coffee. That's awesome, man. Well, again, I appreciate you hopping on the call. Um, best of luck with the coffee business, maybe the potential beer business and uh, bear hunting, man. That's you're doing awesome work. And I encourage everybody like, whatever whatever type of hunting you like find an organization that you can support that's going to help 
further the causes and further the species that you're going after. So thanks, man. And uh, have a good year. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it, man. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. Man, what what an awesome episode. Talking all about bear hunting. And I have not been this fired up for bear hunting ever. I mean, I guess that's going to happen after you hear about success that multiple people have going after them, seeing pictures, all that good stuff. But I'm I'm jacked. I'm ready to go. And I I want to experience bear hunting, like actual bear hunting, several different ways and figure out which one I like the best because I feel like chasing them with hounds would be awesome. I feel like sitting in a spot and, and having a pretty decent idea of the bears that are in the area or looking at trail camera pictures and really patterning them, knowing what time they're going to come in, seeing how they interact, and then seeing that size comparison. And I hear this from a lot of people. When the first bear comes in, you always think it's a monster and it might be a yearling. But once you sit there and you can actually experience them interacting with each other and then seeing the size difference one right after the next, I feel like that part of the process would be pretty sweet also. And then obviously I just want to randomly glass one up one of these years when I'm out in Colorado elk hunting or anywhere I go for that matter and try to try to tag out on a black bear or a cinnamon phase black bear. Um, I don't know. I, it's piqued my interest to say the least and we'll see what we can make happen here in the near future but hopefully you guys are getting food plots in hopefully you're getting draw results back right now and finding out that you drew the hunt of a lifetime i i'm still waiting i'm hoping for that i i don't think it's going to happen this year i think my draw odds are pretty slim for the three remaining tags that i'm hoping for but that's all right next year my odds increase and we're just going to keep knocking out preference points and applications and eventually something great is going to happen so i'm gonna let you guys go i hope you guys enjoyed that one and until next time get out there and chase a new adventure